Let's have a word of prayer, and, uh, and we will start. Father, we're thankful for the evening and for the opportunity to uh, be together with others. Thankful for the time um, of enjoying some food together and that type of fellowship, but we're also thankful for a fellowship that we can share around your word as we learn more about you, more about what you have provided for us, the things that you want to do in our lives and that we get to participate in, and we thank you for each one of these things then. Amen. Okay, just a second here. What? They're waiting, and they can't get on, huh? This is going to be just like Sunday. Sunday, Zoom would not let anybody get on. And I ended up finding out after the fact that Zoom actually had a problem on Sunday. They apologized to all their customers. Sunday and Monday, they were having... Are, are they able to get on? If they can't, we will interrupt. We will interrupt and we will address this in a moment. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We've taken, I think, three weeks uh, talking in verse 17 about... Um, well, we have these three, verse 16, 17, and 18. Verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Then verse 17, we've spent, I believe, three weeks looking at uh, worship unceasingly, or pray. Most of your Bibles have pray, but as we were talking about, that this is the word that really fills in for the idea of worship. And then tonight, moving on to verse 18, where it says, And in everything give thanks, in everything be thankful. Thanks, um, one of the things that helped me a long time ago is understanding when we, whatever idea you might have attached to the word thanks, the Greek word for thanks is built off of the word grace. The word grace is the word charis. Um, we have Karis Butler. That's what her name was, uh, it is. It's uh, based off the, the name charis, which comes from the Hebrew or the Greek kara, joy. So a charis was like a, a thing of joy that a person did, but they counted it a thing of grace. It's not working. They can't get on. Okay, we're going to cancel this out and restart. We're going to start with a different number. We're going to start this. We're going to... In fact, I'm just going to delete that meeting altogether. And we will just start this meeting. This one is... So send this out to them. Um, 844... Sorry, everybody. Okay, go. 844-314-0735. And we will sit. Zoom announced on Monday that they were having problems on Sunday. So, I don't know. We'll see if this one works. Sorry. Oh, howdy, Josh. So we'll see if this one will let him on. Let me. Please let me know what's going on, period. Okay. So, uh, the word thanks is, I think, where I left off. The word thanks is built off of the word grace. And then it has a little... Uh, addition on the beginning of it that means good. So the word thanks, 
was a way a person, if you did something nice for another person, the person would say, good grace, essentially is what they were saying. We, that's the way we would hear it if you were a Greek-speaking person back at that time. So they looked at this thing as, oh, you did, you did me a, a good kindness, a, a good grace. Uh, that was a really nice thing you did. And that's the way they said thanks. Um, it's interesting, um, the Hebrew, and we've done this in a couple of our studies before, the Hebrew word for thanks is actually a word that means to make known. Because in Hebrew, the way you thank the person would be to say, oh, you did this thing for me. You brought me, nobody did this this year. Nobody brought me sweet corn. No, <laughs> I'm not asking, but that's what I was, because that, that was the illustration I was going to use, and then I got caught up with the fact we didn't have any this year. But somebody would, you'd say, you brought me sweet corn. You brought me sweet corn, and it was good sweet corn, and we enjoyed that sweet corn. And that would be the way in Hebrew you would say thanks. Now, they had a word that they used for thanks, but really that word, if you, when you go through and look at it, it really had to do with making something known because that's the way you thanked a person, which you just said what they did for you. The Greek actually has this particular word that means good grace. Boy, you did a good grace for me, and if you, it's still not working. Getting the same message they did Sunday. Oh, oh, here, look at this. Admit, admit, admit. There they go. Wait, they're wait, on. wait, 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 They're, they're getting on. Who's getting on? Uh, I've got four of them on. Who? Um, oh, uh, Joe and Elizabeth, uh, my parents, I, uh, I think that's Donna, and then Jerome. I'm not for sure who Jerome is. Um, So, what? Okay. So, well, I, well, you know, maybe that is the case. Maybe that is the case. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Nice to have you with us tonight, Jerome. Thank you. Okay. And there's the thanks. Emily's test for COVID came back negative, so good. She's trying to get an appointment for tomorrow to get cleared to return to work, but I just checked my temp because it didn't feel right, and it's 99.4, so. Oh. Okay. This, this is all good stuff. That's good news, and I'm glad people could get on that wanted to get on and join us tonight. So, We're in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We've been talking about the word thanks as we're introducing this. Um, Josh has been talking about thanks for, what, three or four weeks now on Sunday afternoons. Uh, I was telling Peggy, or was telling Dwight, as we were getting the mail the other day, I should just have you step in here and just take, do this study, because uh, that has been very good. We're going to do a much briefer version than what... Um, than Josh has been covering. But having said this about thanks, I want to look at some interesting situations where we talk about thanks. And let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, this isn't going to be an interesting one. This is going to be one that we're all going to go, oh, yeah, sure, okay, we get this. Verse 2, it says, And we give thanks to God always concerning all of you while making a, a mention of you while we are worshiping unceasingly. Interesting enough, he uses the word unceasing, same word he uses out of 
chapter 5 with that word for prayers or worship. But he says, while we're doing the worship, we also are thanking you and we're remembering you. And we're, th well, we're thanking God, excuse me, uh, around you. You're a, a cause for us to thank God. So other people, how you think of other people that God's brought into your life, uh, and maybe Paul's obviously not with the Thessalonians, but he says, when we think back to our time with you, we give thanks to God for that. Now let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And before we look at this, we're going to pick on the Corinthians for just a little bit. Was the Corinthians an outstanding church in terms of their character? No, not really. Can anybody name some of the problems that were going on in the Corinthian church? They're following men. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? They were accepting of immorality. They had lawsuits going on between believers in the church, people in the church fighting each other in court. They had, they had believers in the church who were saying, hey, I've got a better spiritual gift than you, and they were shutting everybody else down. They had uh, some people in the church that said, hey, I'm free. I can eat anything. I can even eat meat offered to idols, which was true. But they didn't care if that caused problems to a more immature believer. An immature believer that's like, what? You're eating meat offered to idols? What are you doing? They didn't care. I can do what I can do. So, yeah, they're, it's, it's a church that has quite a few issues going on in, in, in it. And yet Paul looks at this church with all the things that he has to kind of uh, talk to them about, he writes this in verse 4. I thank my God always concerning all of you, and notice what he really lays emphasis on, over or upon the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. He says, when I, so he, I can't thank him for your character, <laughs> particularly, but I can thank him for the way God's shown. We're moving um, you. Oh, they're moving me. Okay. I'm being moved. Okay. This is one of the most interesting Bible studies I've ever participated in. <laughs> Sorry. We're not professionals. Okay. And so, um, so what does Paul say here then? So Paul says, we give thanks concerning you on the basis or resting on the grace, he says, the grace of God that's been given to you. So he can even look at the Corinthians. And even if you got believers and they're having some real problems in their life and you're looking at, you ever have that problem? You see some believers and you're like, they're not making good choices right now. Their choices are really, well, it's not even questionable. It's just like, those aren't good choices. Just plain and simple. But Paul could still give thanks because he could still recognize that God still was doing work with them. Is Philippians 1, 6 still true? Mm -hmm. The one that began a good work in you is carrying it out to the day of completion. Even sometimes when you can't see it yourself or you can't see it in others, he's still doing that. So Paul says, I give thanks for that. That's something he gave thanks for. And I find that, a, that that's a good one because that's one that we struggle with. 
I'm going to bet every one of us is a believer at one time or another. We've got a believer that because of something going on in their life and maybe how their life is then affecting your life, you might be mm, struggling to be thankful for them. Maybe, maybe I'm just not very good person. And so maybe that's a problem I have and you don't, but I'm going to guess a lot of us probably struggle with that in some settings. Let's go to Colossians chapter one. This is one that's probably then a easier one to appreciate. Colossians chapter one and verse 12. And here he's looking at the Colossians and the Colossians are struggling at this moment in time. The Colossians are struggling with the problem. But notice he says in verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the father, the one who has made us qualified or capable for a share of the inheritance of the saints in light. So here he looks at the Colossians with whatever they're struggling with, whatever they're dealing with, because they've got some false teachers trying to promote some things that aren't great. And Paul says, um, we, we thank God. We thank God for his work in your life. And I think that that's an important thing. This kind of as similar to what Paul says to the Corinthians. Even sometimes when you look at other believers and you're thinking, do they know who they're listening to? I, as a pastor, there's times that I've had different people say, oh, we're listening to we're, this guy on the radio or now it's on the computer, right? Or we're reading this guy's book and you're just kind of part of me. Just I just bristle because I'm going, oh, man, that is. Do I say something to him? Do I tell him the problems that are going on here? You know, do I do that? Do I hold my tongue? Because I want to encourage them in their faith. I don't want to be, you know, no, no. It's a, it's a tough call sometimes as a pastor to know. I have struggled at times knowing how to, to respond. But that's what's going on in Colossae is that they've got some false teachers that are teaching them to pursue philosophy, pursue a a form of a rigid legalism and a worship or priestly ministry to angels. And they're doing those. And we look at those going, really? Well, you know what? You see all three of those things going on in modern evangelical Christianity in different places. So what went on back then, 2000 years ago, people in the church, we still struggle with that stuff. And Paul doesn't sit here and say, okay, you guys, you're a mess. I can't thank God for you. No, he says, I thank God for the father. I thank the father because he has made you qualified to share in this inheritance. In other words, he's given you something better. And so he just starts on a very positive note as he's talking to this people rather than just diving in and giving them a one, two for their failures or where they are, why they're putting up with these, these teachers uh, presenting this stuff. That isn't of any value to them uh, at this time. Let's, um, I'm going to save that one. That's what I want to save. Now, all of this to to understand what makes this possible. What makes it possible for you to be thankful? I mean, kind of already asked this question, but I mean, do you ever have times when it's hard to be thankful for your situations in life? When everything's going well, when you when the bills are paid, the roof's not leaking, you've got clothes on your back, your stomach's full, and you're feeling healthy, 
It's easy to be thankful. God, thank you for all this. Is it sometimes a struggle to be thankful when we're feeling really, really sick? When we're having problems with other people. Other people are driving us nuts. Or maybe we're just ourselves. We're driving, our, we're driving ourselves nuts. Uh, when we're struggling to pay the bills. All these other scenarios, the opposite of those things, or any part of the opposite of those things. Do we find it tough to be thankful? Okay, so let's go back to 1 Thessalonians and let's look at what Paul said. What is, how does he characterize, or excuse me, what, in what way or in what things does he say that we should be thankful? What does he say? In all circumstances, in everything, yeah. So, is there ever a situation that we just can't have thanks? No, there should always be something in there that we can find thanks for. Now, Josh pointed out an example we're not going to look at today, but it's over in the Gospels, and most of us are familiar with uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, that Jesus tells a parable. About the, remember, the Pharisee and the tax collector, they both come, come from the temple, and what does the tax collector, or what does the Pharisee say? God, I'm not like, like that. Thankful that I'm not like other sinners. That's kind of thanks, or that's really a what? That's a, a braggadocious boast couched in a, in a statement of thanks. It's not, Josh was pointing out, that's not really the kind of thanks that God wants us to have. Right? No. Unlike the, the tax collector that just says, God, be satisfied with me, a sinner. Be okay with this. So there are some things that we're not thankful for. I'm not thankful for my sin. When I sin, I'm not thankful for my sin. Can I be thankful with regard to the situation of my sin? Yeah, I can be thankful for the fact that God's still doing his work. I can be thankful for the fact that the Holy Spirit is in me going, Hey, Tim, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, is it? You've got something better than this. Why are you settling for, for this kind of activity? So there are things with regard to that I can be thankful for, though I'm not going to be thankful for everything uh, in that way. So he says, in all circumstances. So there's, it's appropriate in all circumstances to be thankful. Now, how is this possible? Let's go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm just going to put in with this verse, I'm going to pull this verse out of context, and then we'll back up and look at the context. Ephesians 5, verse 20. It says, giving thanks always on behalf of or in place of all things in the name or that would be in the character of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. So we do it like the Lord Jesus Christ would give thanks, but we're giving thanks to God the Father. But we're giving thanks always. So it's, there, it's always appropriate. There's always going to be something appropriate to thank God for. And in place of all things, he says here. In place of all things. So there's two things that he brings out here. Always, always something there, but also that we can give thanks. And it's important that the, the preposition that's translated for all things can have the idea that thanks can, can come in as a substitute 
for what's going on. Now, what makes that possible? How in the world can we actually do that? Because that's, as a Christian, you can spend time, as we're already saying, there's things that are hard to be thankful for. So let's go back up to verse 15 and let's read down through this, a little bit of this context and see what Paul says. So beginning in verse 15, he says, See that you walk carefully or accurately, not as unwise, but as wise people buying out the time for the days are evil. In other words, make good use of your time. Um, there was a song probably 10, 15 years ago that somebody wrote that said that the person, they didn't need more time in their life. They needed more life in their day or something like that. I can't remember exactly the wording of that song. If, if I could sing it right, you'd all go, oh yeah, I remember that song. But that really is what it is. We don't need any more time in our day. God never asks us to accomplish more within the space of time that he's given us than he knows can be accomplished. But the problem is we don't always make good use of that time, do we? I know what that's like. It's real easy to sit there. Oh, Peg's got my phone. It's real easy to sit there and go, I should be working on this, but I've got a free ace and there's a king and there's a jack or you're playing Sudoku on your phone or doing something or Facebook. Oh, I've seen these posts 20 times, but I'm going to look through these things another time. You know, there's all kinds of things that just we waste time with. We can waste a lot of time. He says here, buy out the time. The days are evil. And, then, and that evil is, it's an evil that spreads, is the nature of this, this particular Greek word for evil. So it's going to spread out there, and you're going to get swallowed up in the same thing that's going on everywhere else. Therefore, verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, We're not even gonna, I don't want to deal with that, but understand what the will of God is. So know what God wants for you. What are the things that we've seen that God wants for us over there in First Thessalonians? He wants you to rejoice always. Worship without ceasing and in everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Those are three things that he says are clearly his will. Well, he says, don't be unwise, but know what the will of God is. Verse 18, do not be drunk with wine in which is, and it's always fun to read even modern translations. My, this is, this is a, a very, well, a fairly modern translation that's in the margin of my Greek text here. And they have the word for that is debauchery. Well, there's a word we use in everyday English, right? Debauchery. Oh, that person's debauch. You know what debauch means? I'm looking at you, Clinton. Clinton doesn't. Kenya, do you know what debauchery means? No. See, see this is exactly, I'm asking them. Do you know what debauchery means? See, thank you, Ben. Okay, see, that's the whole thing. They're using words we don't get. And in reality, that word very simply means unsavingness. Now, that doesn't make sense to us because what is unsavingness? Does it doesn't mean that it takes your salvation away? No. What the word meant is it's not safe. It's not a safe thing or we could put to put it another way, it doesn't build you up. It doesn't contribute to your salvation. You don't grow by doing this. So he says, don't be drunk with wine for that doesn't help you grow, but be filled by the Spirit, kind of contrasting that idea of a person being filled with too much wine to a filling you need, but you need it by the Spirit. Now, just for clarity, he does not say be filled with the Spirit. 
When you believe the gospel, God gave you the Holy Spirit. And you got all the Holy Spirit you're going to get and all the Holy Spirit you need. Because the Holy Spirit, personally, He, the Spirit, dwells in you. He is in you now. So you don't need more of the Spirit. What you need is for Him to do a work in you. And what he actually says here is be filled by the Spirit. And just for to make sure we're really clear on this, it, no matter the fact that a lot of English translations will say be filled with the Spirit, you cannot grammatically in Greek translate it that way. It does not work because it's, it, it's not the way that word fill works. You have to, you'd have to use a different form of the word Spirit in Greek to say, be filled with the Spirit. This is talking about the Spirit doing the filling. He's the one that's holding the pitcher of water and doing the pouring with something else. Now, what is He filling you with? Well, He's filling you with certain activities that you need in your life. And the first ones are speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So that's the first thing you need. Now, now, let me put a little bit of this together because this is, I think, helpful in, in both the context here and in 1 Thessalonians 5. The word fill, Paul uses the word fill or the noun fullness several times in the book of Ephesians and starting at the end of chapter 1. And let's just take a look at these so you can see them. Look at the end of chapter 1. The last verse of chapter 1 in Ephesians, verse 23 and he says in verse 22, he says the church, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of the one filling all things by all means. And so what he says is the church is his fullness. He's filled the church up. Christ has filled the church up. The church is everything he wants it to be from his perspective. Down here, maybe not. But in Christ, it's always that way. He sees it as full. Look down in chapter 3. Look at the end of chapter, uh, towards the end of chapter 3. Look with me at verse 19. One of the things that Paul wants for the Thessalon or the Ephesian believers, excuse me, is that you might know the surpassing knowledge of the love of Christ that you might be filled, same word that Paul's using over in 518, unto all the fullness of God. So again, He's referring to all that filling and fullness. What's he mean, all the fullness? Well, if you were reading, if we were reading this whole context, you'd, you'd see what he's talking about is all of us working together like we're part of the body. Not like, well, that's a body and that's a body and that's a body, or there's all these little members out there doing their own thing, but they, they don't work together like a body in any sense. It's actually working together. This is what he wants. And that's what this being filled is. Turn to chapter 4. And I'm probably missing one of them in here because it's off the top of my head. I'm sorry, but if you look in verse 13, it's in verse 10 of chapter. Oh, there it is. Oh, thank you, Josh. It says, uh, talking about Christ, he's the one that de himself descended. He's also the one ascending far above all the heavens so that he might fill thee all things. And in the context, I believe the all things he's referring to are all the parts of the body, which that's the challenge for the Ephesians is to realize he works through all the parts of the body. It's always easy to say, well, he works through me. I'm not so sure about you. 
Is that a problem in churches? That he thinks, oh, God's certainly doing work in me. I don't know about you. Well, no, he fills all things. Then look down in verse um, 13, and he's talking about four gifts that he gives, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and, and uh, pastor teachers, that they're designed to equip you for a work of ministry. So God's got something for the others to do, and they're equipping them so they can do their work, and that makes the body of Christ build up until we all together arrive, not just me arrive or you arrive, but all of us together arrive at a oneness of the faith, to a full experiential knowledge of the Son of God, unto a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ. And, and the, you've heard me use this illustration at church about my parents, that the doorway between their, their uh, kitchen and their laundry room, and I think orths have a board like this in their dining space, that they've got marks on there for all the grandkids. So-and-so was this tall, and then my dad or mom would write beside it the date when they measured him. And so they've got these, these measure marks all, the, all up the, the wall there. Well, the very day that God started the church, it's as though God walked up to the wall, up to that doorpost, and marked here, and he says, this is, what, this is how tall you're going to be as a grown man. When I was growing up, I was positive I was going to hit 6'1". My dad was 6'1". My uncle was not quite as tall as my dad, but he was taller, and I thought for sure I'm going to hit six one. And I had, and I was I was five ten, in eighth grade. I'm sure going to make six one. And guess what? I stayed at five ten. I was tall in eighth grade, and then and then other guys kept shooting past me. <laughs> you know, I never did reach that. And so if my dad would have gone to that doorpost when I was born and marked there and said Tim will be this height when he is an adult, and if he would have based it on his height, he would have been wrong. But God wasn't wrong. God went and marked on that doorpost and he says, when, when, when I am done putting together the church, the body of Christ, this is how tall it's going to be. When it's full grown, it's going to be like this. And he says, that's what this is. And that's what he means by the, the full stature of the fullness of the Christ. When we reach that full stature, all of us together, not me, but all the whole body of Christ, all believers all around the world, through all the ages, going back to 2,000 years that the church has been on, on this earth, when he has finished all of that, all of us together, that is the way it's going to be. And he sees it as full. Now, with that as a background, all that fullness... Because I, I, I still, I, I think a lot of people will never understand this feeling if we don't keep it in the context of Ephesians. Because we kind of make it this magical thing that we pull out of context, we throw it over here. The magical thing of the filling of the Spirit. But in the context of Ephesians, the filling is all about the Spirit doing a work in you to function like you're part of that fullness, like you're part of that body. Rather than some rogue agent out there doing their own thing. You actually are working together with other believers. And, you, and believers struggle with that, don't they? I mean, we all struggle with that because there have been believers. All, I, I've run into so many Christians, people that I've talked with them. I've shared the gospel and they're like, spot on. But that's the gospel. And they're like, that is so good. But, but they don't go to church anywhere. They don't assemble with other believers. And they're like, I'm good. I can worship God in my boat. I can worship God out on a mountaintop. Well, yeah, you can. You can do that. But should you? 
I think God wants you to be together with believers. That's part of God's design for us. And we're not talking about being legalistic. We're not saying every time the church is open, you got to be at church. But we're just saying there are some people that they just they make their lifestyle habit of just not being with other believers. And so at some point, those believers, I think, need to realize I need other people and they need me, too, because God wants to work in other people's life through me. And he wants to use you in other people's lives. And with all that said, these verses about the filling of the spirit are really about what you need. And when one of the problems of unity in Ephesians, in fact, he addresses it at the end of chapter four, when you're having a problem with another believer, what is probably one of the worst things that we tend to do when we're, when we're kind of mad or hacked off or disappointed with another believer? What? Unforgiveness. Yeah, we're unforgiving. We don't forgive. That's not the one I was thinking of, but yes, that is actually one of them. That is. I was thinking, what is the actual, what is the thing we do and a part of us that we use to do it? We use our mouth to do what? Corrupt communication. Yeah, we say things. In fact, at the end of chapter four, he says, what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We say mean things. And even if we try to say, oh, I'm sorry, I take that back. That person's heard it. They remember it. And the enemy's going to be really good to come around and tap them on the shoulder. So (laughs) you remember they said that thing to you? You remember what they called you? And so the first thing to me, I always find is interesting. The first thing he says here in verse 19, and some of your English Bibles do not represent this. It's you speak to yourselves. It's not to one another. This is not a one another uh, pronoun. This is to yourself. See, we think the thing you need to do is I need to give everybody else a piece of my mind. I need to tell them. But he says, the first thing you need to do is you need to speak to yourself. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, in other words, you're thinking about God and you're thinking about what God's doing. Isn't that what psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are about? They're about who is God and what's God up to. And he says, you need to talk to yourself in this way. Second of all, you're singing and making melody Where? Where does it say? In your your hearts. What do you do with your heart? You make decisions. decisions. Your heart is your decider. Remember, that was one of the things that we kind of learned. I didn't know this until we moved here, but they had an illustration that that, uh, um, Leslie used in the Sunday school class with the kids with an arrow, arrow on a pivot like this. This is your decider. This is what your heart, your heart's not this thing. Your heart is this thing where you make decisions in here and you're making choices about how you're going to, what you're going to do here. Jesus even indicates that in the gospels. It's out of the heart. That's what you corrupt yourself with. So he says, you're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're still not even talking to other people yet, except for the Lord, but you're doing it in that part of you where we make decisions. And then he says, giving thanks always for all things in the name or the character of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. You give thanks. When you're in conflict with other believers in the church, is it hard to give thanks? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to give thanks. But what's making that possible in this context? You're being filled by the Spirit. The Spirit gives you the ability to sing to or speak to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Spirit is the one that gives you the ability to speak or to sing in your heart. 
And the Spirit is the one that gives you the ability to be thanks. You don't produce those. If you're producing those, it's going to be human thanks, and it's going to be humanly produced songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. I had a roommate in college that uh, I came home one day, and he's got a hymnal sitting on his desk. And I asked him, what's, what's the hymnal for? He says, oh, I was reading Ephesians, and it said, said to be spirit-filled, this to be spirit-filled, this is the way he understood it. I, sh I needed to sing hymns. So he went up to the Christian bookstore in town there and bought himself a hymnal and came home so he could learn some hymns uh, to, uh, to sing. And I said, I said, you got it backwards, Blaine. I said, the Bible says that being filled by the Spirit produces the hymns. The hymns doesn't produce being filled by the Spirit. It, you're, you're getting it backwards. And then he goes on. He says in verse 21, now you get a one another in here. There's a legitimate one another pronoun. But what does it say you do with one another? What does it say? Submit. You submit. You, you mean I never get to tell them off? I never get to put them in their place? No, because that's not what contributes to unity. What contributes to unity is you address yourself first. Tim, let's think about who God is. Let's think about what God's doing. And I talk with God, and God's talking with me, and then then I, in my heart, then I sing something to God, and in, my, and in myself, I give thanks to God, and lastly, I submit to others. Because I can guarantee you, I'm not going to submit to other people if I've got a beef with you and I'm not spiritual. So the Spirit's producing all of this, and that's the whole point, all of this this chasing this rabbit trail over in Ephesians is all about you understanding that you cannot be spiritual or you cannot be thankful just by trying to be thankful. Like we said, there are things that are easy to be thankful for. But how do you be, how are you thankful when you're dealing with other believers and you're not all getting along? That's hard. It's hard to be thankful in those settings. That's why you need to be filled by the Spirit because He will do what you cannot do in yourself, which you cannot produce. So that's why He says you need to be filled by the Spirit. He needs to fill you up with these things you need. And He's going to make it possible for you. Let's read verse 20 again here of or Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.20 Giving thanks always in place of all things. Do you thank God that such and such a believer treated you badly. Thank you, God, that that person was so mean to me, that that person was a jerk. Is that what you're doing? No, that's not being thankful. What, you're th what you can be... Here, here's, an, here's a good example. And we, can, we won't have to come back here, so you don't have to hold your place. But turn to James. James chapter 1. Now, this doesn't use the word thanks, but it does use the word joy which was the first of these three things we looked at in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says in verse 2 of James 1, Consider it joy, my brothers, when you fall into various kinds of temptations. You're going through different hardships and they become the basis of a temptation, knowing that the proving of your faith, it produces patience. You ever heard the saying, God, I want patience and I want it now? <laughs> well... This is saying it's not that way. God produces patience by letting you go through difficulties. That's the way you become a patient person. That's the way God works out patience. And let, he says, let patience have its 
maturing work. Almost all your Bibles anymore, they translate this word perfect. And people go, oh, it's a perfect work. And yet, what does that mean, perfect? Oh, it's just perfect. It's everything it should be. But that's not really what that word means. That word that's translated perfect means it's mature. Patience, going through hardship and patience is how God grows you. It's how God grows you. I don't know. This, I probably shouldn't reference this, but this is what comes to mind when I, when I think of this kind of stuff. There was an episode of Seinfeld many years ago in which Kramer, the kind of nutty neighbor, is doing, I think, karate or judo, one of these things. And he invites them to come watch him at his judo class. And he's like at the top of his, he's bragging on the fact that he's at the top of his class. And they go there. You know who he's play, doing karate or judo with? Like a bunch of grade school kids. Yeah, well, this guy's like, what, 6'4"? These kids come out of it. He knocks them down. If, they, if all you ever do is challenge yourself with what's easy, you don't grow and mature. If, if, if Ben's cross-country team, if all they ever had to do was say, hey, I'm going to send you guys out there and I want you to beat Tim Holscher. <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be a very good cross-country team if all they had to do was beat me. <laughs> See? That wouldn't be a very... But when they actually go up against other... But I just know that wouldn't be a super challenge to them. But when they go out and they work against other people, that makes them better. See, that's why you push themselves to, to go through those things. And so that's what God does with us. He takes us through these different things to mature us so that you might be mature and whole, lacking in nothing. Now, he's talking about joy there. Can you in temptation then? Because that, can you be thankful for temptation? Yeah. You can be thankful because you can say, this is an opportunity for me to mature. Because God can help me go through this. I can respond right. And I can grow a little bit through this. And, and, and without sharing a long story, I still remember a thing I went through between my uh, first and second years of seminary that was just, I just was, I struggled for a long time that between those two years in that summer. And uh, I was ready to drop out of school. Just pride thing. It was a pride thing is what it came down to, just plain and simple. But you know what? I looked at that, and when you were going through that, that it just seemed relentless. And I thought, I am not going to survive this thing. I am just, I am never going to grow up. And I look back at that, and I'm going, oh, I still go through stuff today, but. I look back at that and say, I, I wouldn't be able to be where I am now if God hadn't taken me through that then. But I hated going through that at that time, what I was dealing with. And you see yourself grow as you look back and the things you once dealt with, you've matured. So with, with that, if you have that perspective, can you be thankful? Yeah, with God's perspective, you can be thankful. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. There is a parallel. Colossians 3 Colossians chapter 3, beginning with, uh, let's go to verse 16. We really have a parallel to the Ephesians passage. He uses almost exactly the same vocabulary that he did over in Ephesians 5.18. And he says, let the word about the Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now notice what he says. Here he says, teaching and admonishing yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Over in Ephesians, he said, speaking to yourselves. Here he says, 
that it's not just that you're speaking to yourself, you're teaching and admonishing yourself. Teaching is learn this and admonishing is think about that. Think about it. Okay. With Psalms, Sims, and spiritual songs, same thing. And then with grace, singing in your heart to God. Over there, he said, singing or making melody in your heart to God. And then we come to verse 17. And in everything, whatever it is that you're doing, word or in work, you, all of those things, you are to be thankful for in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. The way almost all your English versions translate that is whatever you do in word or work, do it. But there actually is no second verb do. Because he's not really talking about going do the thing. What he's saying is all whatever you do, whether it's something you're saying or something you're doing, those things, and we could add a word do, but to understand you do it while giving thanks. That's the emphasis. And I think sometimes by adding the the do the way some of our English Bibles do it, it, we think that that's the main point. But the point is that we're to do those things while giving thanks, whatever it is that we're doing out there. Now, again, we're not giving thanks that we're sinning. That's not what he's saying. Because whatever you're doing in word or in work, you're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I sin in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? No. So obviously that's not what he's talking about. But whatever circumstances you find yourself in, going back to the statement we had over in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, you can in all of those things be thankful in those circumstances in the name or in the character, the way the Lord Jesus Christ would do it. And you can be thankful to God, even the Father, in all of that. And again, this goes back. This is He doesn't use the word being filled. What he says to do here in verse 16 is let the word about the Christ dwell richly in you. Which is really talking about our relationship with Jesus Christ as the head. It's going back to you thinking about who you are in the body again. That's what this word about the Christ is. We put this all together in the context. If we built a full case for this, you could see that that's what he's talking about. The way, so, which doesn't that make sense? Because the filling is about functioning like you're part of the body. He doesn't use the word fill here, but he's talking about the same thing. And how do you function like part of the body? You remember this is who Jesus Christ is and this is who we all together are as part of the body in him. Very, it's not simple. The Christian life in reality is not very complicated. There's a lot of little things that we talk about in here, but in reality, the Christian life comes back to you remembering because of who Jesus Christ is, this is who we are in him. He sees us all together as one. He sees all of us as having died with Christ. He sees us having been buried with Christ. He sees us as being raised to life in Christ. He sees us all seated at the Father's right hand in Christ. This is who he says we are. All together. And when we see that and we start to look at ourselves and others that way, we think of ourselves and see ourselves with others with that, that's when he fills us. Okay. Now I, I shared, um, I'm going to share a part of, some of the people at our church maybe know this, but it's not a thing I've, I've advertised a lot over the years. But I, I know Ben and my wife's got to hear this. And I know Ben and Lindsay did because we were at a church over in Kent back a few years ago. And some of you may remember the, the group that came over and helped do some mission team work in the summer over here with us. 
and they invited us, some of us, to come over there one weekend and share a few things. And uh, this was this was my, and they asked me to share a little bit of something, and I shared this passage, and I shared this was this was my biggest takeaway from that. Okay, no, buckle up, because this is about you guys. <laughs> When New Life went in downtown, I was like, we do not need another evangelical church in this town. They are just out to rob sheep. That's all they're doing here. And I was, I tell you, I was, I was, I was pretty TO'd over the thing. And I, I had a tough time with that. And that went on for a while. And I tried to not be that way. And I tried to be nice about it. But I tell you, that root of bitterness, that unforgivingness, boy, that would pop up every now and then. And then that mission team came and they were from another church and they were working with all of us. And in the process of doing that and doing some things with other people, it was like God really was on my case about the fact, you know what, if you've got brothers and sisters in Christ and they're working somewhere else and I'm doing a work through them, just rejoice in that and thank me that I'm doing a work there. Even if it's not doing it with the little group that you gather with, be thankful I'm doing something else there. And I had to tell them, that was something I was thankful for. And it came back to this passage. Are we all in the body of Christ? Yes. And with those that are in the body of Christ, can I be thankful for them? And can I be thankful that God is doing something through them there? Yes. That was a good lesson for me. It's a lesson God has to bring me back to. He has to bring me back to that because I can really get my nose bent out of shape with other people, not just with other churches, but just with other people in general. Uh, and, uh, and and that doesn't do me any good, but it doesn't do anybody else any good Yeah, to, to operate and to think like that. And so if we go, pardon me? No. Yes, you can make a comment, John. Just just in case those online couldn't hear Josh over here at the back of the room. <laughs> Up against the pine tree room. <laughs> we have we have pine paneling on the back wall. Um, Josh was just saying that's what, what Paul gets at there in Colossians back in two two, where as you operate together with other believers accomplishing and doing things, uh, and you're doing it with the right motivation of love, it does knit your hearts together in love. And uh, thank you. Appreciate that. I appreciate that. Now, let's go back to First Thessalonians. And I want to look at one last thing with the Thessalonians. And I want you to go to chapter 3 here with this. First Thessalonians chapter 3. And let's put in at verse 7. If you, re if you remember, and we've reviewed this many, many times, when Paul came to Thessalonica, evangelized these people and started the church, 
Due to persecution, Paul had to hit the road at night early. He wasn't expecting to leave that soon. So he's leaving and when he gets away from Thessalonica, he's thinking there's a lot of things I didn't get to teach those people. They're brand new Christians and I didn't get to explain this and they get to explain this. And so he's thinking through all these stuff that, what are these people going to do? And he's worried about them. And so he sent Timothy back to them in verse seven. He says, therefore, when it's talking about Timothy coming back, therefore, we were encouraged brothers over you, over all of our distress and affliction on account of your faith, because now we live if you are standing firm in the Lord. Because, uh, excuse me, verse nine, for what thanks are we able to pay back to God concerning all of you over all the joy with which we rejoice because of you before God night and day supplicating to God exceedingly that we might see your faces and that we might be able to adjust the things that are lacking in your faith. He says, we're still asking to come back. We've got things that we want to make up. But he says, we're able to give thanks. He says, what kind of thanks can we give to God? That you are actually standing firm in the Lord, even after the short course that Paul took him through. It was enough that they already were standing firm in that short space of time, despite the adversity and then all the adversity that Paul went through. And Paul says, hey, we give thanks over that to God because because really what he's doing is he's recognizing, see, that's God's work. Paul's not going, oh, thanks to God that he used me to do this great thing in your life. No, I'm thankful to God that you're standing firm. That's God's work. And so with all of that, let's go back to chapter 5. Let's read our three verses as we close. We'll take some questions or comments here as we close here. But verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Always rejoice, unceasingly worship, and in everything give thanks. For this is the desirous will of God. This is what God wants for you in Christ Jesus. He wants us to be people that rejoice, that we're able to see God's hand in things. He wants us to be people that are focused on the character of God. And he wants us to be able to be people that recognize God's grace in our lives and in the lives of others. And he says, that's his will. That's what he, that's, are there other things he wants for us? Yeah, that's not the sum total, but those are three key things that God wants for us. Okay. That's a super short version of what Josh has been spending the last four weeks talking about. And I have really, I've really enjoyed and been benefiting from uh, Josh's longer study on thanks. But anybody else have some comments to add or questions? Thank you. 
page what I think I'm worth. Okay, ever. Okay, now in reality, I know, but I'm trying to illustrate something to somebody I'm working with. I'm trying to illustrate that it's easy to be dissatisfied with what you're getting paid, but does that mean you work a lesser amount? You work up to the amount that you're getting paid, that you think, when you, but if you think you deserve more, you work less than because you're not getting paid what you think you're worth, or you, you give your best every day, right? That's what I'm trying to get across. But, and I think in the Christian life, on a, you know, that's just an illustration, but in the Christian life, often, that's a that's an attitude that runs across our whole society. So it affects Christians, right? So we're like, I deserve better than I got. I haven't ever attained what I really deserve. So even when things are, and so because of that, we don't see how good we have it. Because we're dissatisfied with what we have. Because we think we deserve more. I don't know. So I think it's a, a really per, uh, pervasive mental thing that kind of goes through our society that leaves, a, and we live in a very materialistic society, right? So we have a, it, it runs through, it's just, in, you know, the idea of being thankful, not for what, so much the physical things, but for the salvation that God has given us. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. <laughs> That's what I thought of when you were talking about the wages. Okay, so when it talks about having joy in trials, obviously that's not yay, haha, you know, happy, right. go lucky. Um, thanks, you said, is good grace. Right? right. So is that kind of? I mean, not the same idea necessarily, but sort of the same thing, where it's not. Oh, thank you that I. I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah, I would say joy joy is the ability to appreciate that God's doing something. Right. But in, Whereas thank, when thanks, you're really recognizing in God's grace is in particularly providing something here that I don't deserve. So you're focusing right. on providing something you don't deserve. So it's not so much just thank you for this or thank you for that. Just like joy isn't happy-go-lucky. Right. Does that, did I answer that well enough? I didn't. I didn't have a question. I okay, you're just how making a comment. Okay. <laughs> okay. What I'm thinking. So it really is just recognizing grace in every situation. Mm-hmm. Can everybody hear Peggy? It's just recognizing grace in every situation. God's grace. God's grace. God had to tell Paul, "My grace is sufficient for you." And that was during a time when he asked God to take away infirmity, a, a problem. And so he wasn't recognizing God's grace. And that it is good grace, it's grace that's going to cause contentment. Even though you could be in a situation where there should be no contentment, the world will look at our other people and say, Wow, your life is a disaster right now. Well, yeah, it could be, but 
so then but still rec recognizing God's grace, his strength. I mean, however God's grace comes through, right? So it could be God's... Just recognize... So how does that all work, I guess? Realizing you have a position in Christ, that's eternal. That's not going to change. The love of God's never, you're never going to be out of God's love. He's going to carry it through. That's all part of things that God says or does for you without recognizing if there's merit or not. So that, that all just kind of goes together. That's all God's grace, all of that. Yes. That's a good way to put it all. And James 1 1 to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. They're scattered. They're scattered. They're going under pretty awful trials. So count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. That's that's the trial where it's trying to. Is that the trial where it's on? No, that's temptation. That's temptation. That's the temptation word. That, that's where they're tempting you to not have joy but you experientially know that the proving of your faith so that means you've gone through this before you know from experience that this is going to produce patience in you so let it have its full effect let it have its maturity right yes so you can mature and and be complete is that complete right now? Yes, lacking in nothing. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. that's exactly the point. You can you can actually be reaching a stage of maturity, not of which there's no more maturity, but there's there's only going to be more consistency. But right. you can be you can actually be enjoying all the things God God has for you down here, okay. and you can be experiencing those things. It's just that if you're, I think even like the Apostle Paul who towards the end of his life still calls himself the chiefest of sinners. It's just that he doesn't enjoy it all the time because sometimes he's not thinking right. So. Kind of going along. I was thinking about this when Josh was sharing this, to just to share, try to keep this story real short. But I, this was, well, most of you know, this was back when the two of us were not getting along many years ago. You know, our, I thought, oh, we're going to get a divorce. I mean, it was really rough. Uh, Josh knows that Josh was around back then in those days. And this was really bad. And we had we had a Bible conference here. And uh, this one of the speakers was here. And on Sunday evening after the conference was over, I said, hey, could we go talk for a while? I went over to my office and I sat down. And I basically just kind of poured my heart out to this guy. And I thought for sure he was going to tell me, well, your wife needs to do this, and your wife needs to do this, your wife needs to do this, and everything will be fine. And you know what he tells me? He says, I realized a long time ago, he says, if I lost everything I have in this world, I couldn't lose as much as God's given me in my salvation. It will always eclipse it infinitely. He says, my salvation is so much bigger than all of this stuff down here. Because he'd gone through the same kind of stuff. He had, he had gone through this, and I didn't realize until he started talking to me how much stuff he'd gone through. I knew he'd gone through some stuff, but I didn't. I did not realize, and I was just like, <sighs> and God brings me back to that once in a while when I, because I I can I can struggle with being content, just like Josh is talking. About. 
I can struggle with appreciating what God's given us as part of our salvation. Like what Peg was talking about, that experiential wisdom and knowledge that you gain, knowing that God is going to use those scenarios to bless other people like in your scenario. That's where you can find that joy. Anybody else have something to add or ask? Or? Okay.